The Anton Savage Show on News Talk. Joined by Gina London, former CNN correspondent and now Sunday Independent columnist, and John Lee, executive editor of the Daily Mail Group in Ireland. And Gina, to start with you, it's very it's it shows how far you've fallen when people who are flying to Newark are complaining about Dublin. Yeah, well, that <laughs> I actually flew out of Newark when I was coming back over the Christmas holidays, and the line there was mad. So now it's all flipped. But it is interesting, anecdotally, every person you talk to here that are going on their holidays, the qu- the, co- the comment comes back immediately. How was the security? How long was the line? Yesterday I had friends, so different from the report you just heard, they were flying out to S- Spain from here in, in Dublin and they had to wait all the way through the car park for T1. So that was not the story that we're hearing this morning. And so the fear factor of, okay, what's it like now? What's it like this hour? What's it like next hour? What's it like tomorrow? How... Uh, the people that his friends of mine just came back from Wimbledon yesterday had to wait three hours to get their luggage when they were flying back. So, and it's from the security to li- that's it. It's the uncertainty. And if you're living in Sligo or somewhere in the you know somewhere in the Midlands, and you're like, what time do I get up in the morning? Do I pack a tent? Do I come out the night before? What is my strategy for flying? Because it's so uncertain and it's so unpredictable. And it, to me, it says efficiency management. Let's get our act together. John, can you explain one aspect of this? Normally, when a semi-state or a state body or state-owned company finds itself in the teeth of a public crisis and when media attention is poured on them, when they're called in in front of Oireachtas committees, Every possible hand goes to the pump and things get solved. We're now six, eight weeks into this kind of chaos in Dublin Airport and it seems to be coming and going all the time. I think we're longer, aren't we? Um, I, I seem to remember I was travelling to London in March and there was it was already an issue and I was I was surprised at how easy it was to get through that, that day. Um, the problem, I think, really goes back to late last, um, late last year where there was predictions that air travel wouldn't return to full capacity till 2023. And there was no prospect on the horizon of of the country opening up as quickly as it did. And the DAA conducted, they have said, a huge layoff, redundancy programme. And a large number of um, people were let go, experienced staff who would handle the the airport. So that long-term problem was, was created with the presumption was it possible they thought air travel would never return? And that issue should have been dealt with by the government at the time and overseen by the department and wasn't. They were allowed to do that. But is it not, and this is just me posing the question, when I look at something that has run on as long as this, we have a chief executive there that is leaving the DAA soon. He's gone on to another job. <coughs> he can You can haul him in as, often t- as many times as you like and nothing is going to really happen in the in the in the short term. But in the long term, are we not really now suffering the infrastructural problems that are endemic in Dublin Airport? And I, I was struck there that the Newark, the, the couple there from Newark said, well, maybe could we not go from another airport? We have a lot of other airports in Ireland which are underused. There's no mass transit to the airport and no prospect of there being mass. I mean, that we are still, am I right, the only major European capital without, without, a, without a rail, rail link to their airport? Gina, you wanted to come in? Well, I was just, I was actually going to build on, on what John was saying there about the, uh, the Dalton Phillips episode. When you think about the efficiency and the management and then you think about that picture back last month when there were thousands of people that were in line, thousands of people that lost the, their flights because of the, the the delays, and Dalton Phillips sitting there cooling his heels in the VIP lounge, which is now closed for optics, unless you've already been booked. And that is a problem right there. When you've got somebody in an ivory tower, when the masses are having difficulty, that's a let-up-meat-cake issue, and that needs to be 
not just someone departing, but really systemically f- solved from the bottom up. Don't call in the military to help the, the security fix the problem from an efficiency but, standpoint. Uh, but we do have to say, though, it, it isn't just Dublin Airport because the Aer Lingus problem isn't, uh, the Aer Lingus cancellations aren't driven by Dublin Airport. And you have that weird dichotomy of Ryanair triumphalistically saying or triumphantly saying, we're doing just grand Well, when you see Michael O'Leary, Michael O'Leary put, did, working on the baggage line. I mean, that the optics matter. And getting I'm up. not sure Michael O'Leary slinging bags is the reason that Ryanair still has flights on the go. But 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 again, it's it's the okay. It's a, he's he's good for PR. I get it. But the idea that he decided that he made that willingness to do it when we've got the, the juxtaposition of let's take take a look at two different leaders, Michael O'Leary out there getting doing the baggage, Dalton Phillips sitting there sipping. Whatever. In I'm sure in fairness to Dalton Phillips, he, he has his hands fairly full at the minute. Now he does. In issues other than Dublin, because Dublin Airport obviously is very significant to those who want to use it. It's totally irrelevant to those who don't. There is one, of course, issue that is, is pertinent to everybody, which is the cost of living. Yeah. And a lot of reporting this weekend, uh, John, that we are going to see fairly significant measures taken in the budget directly and short term to try to deal with that. Well, here we have um, short-termism coming to the fore. Um, Is the best way to tackle inflation raising um, uh, uh, social welfare rates? I'm not not sure. Um, If you're going to do it, why wait till October? And we've got a very archaic budgetary system where next week we unveil the summer economic statement, uh, the summer economic statement, which has gone from being a spring um, economic statement, where we, 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 we will understand the the global figure we have to spend and then we are told we got to wait till now late late September maybe um, I wrote a story a few weeks ago showing myself up here where the government sa- had said to me they were going to intervene in July and that has changed since so th- there seems to be a, a level of chaos in government at the moment similar to um Dublin Airport in some ways. I think, a bit, again, looking at the global problem, I think there's an issue here as well that this is the t- current Taoiseach Michal Martin's last budget. We're inclined to forget that he's he's to leave in December. Whose budget is it? The, the Taoiseach that will have to deal with the budgetary matters that come out of it and the political matters is Leo Varadkar. Um, and do you not buy into any of this now? Because the government is effectively... It's not saying it directly, but what is implied is we are being steady, we are being measured, we're not going to do anything precipitous. The correct time for doing this is during the budgetary process. All of that kind of stuff. Do you not buy into any of that? I don't, because the the story I'm being told, and I, I'd like to think I have some of the better sources in, in government and have proved that down the years, um, it, the, the plan changes every week. Um, and the public statements are a divergence with each other. So you have, for instance, only only a week ago, was it? I've lost track now. We will wait till, till the budget. The budgetary process is what the teacher keeps saying. Then suddenly they change the budgetary process and bring it back into September. So that that creates confusion. You're dealing with large sums of money. We had we have we're being told there are problems with the amount of money. Leo Varadkar went on the radio about a week ago and said, we have huge fiscal firepower there. The tax, the, the tax intake is is, um, is pretty healthy. Straight away, Willie O'Dea comes out and was, well, the Minister for um, 
enterprise and employment Tarnishta has said we've huge fiscal firepower let's use it and let's use it now so when it when it, when you mix messages coming from government on an issue as, as 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 serious as this it creates confusion and worry for those who are already worried we are not of course alone in this Gina when we look at your um, homeland the level of inflation in the US is fairly stark and one of the big economic measures that matters so much to people in the states that of gas prices gas north of five dollars a gallon which in America is heresy yeah no it's tough and this is and then we're in the long term on the fallout from the from the ongoing war in Ukraine and the budget impacts happening all over the world and the the consistency of messaging though to John's point is really important to be able to try to say we're going to do this we're going to do this measure we're going to, to remind people what they're doing and it is when the talk around here back in in Ireland of uh, how are parents going to be able to pay for the books and the supplies for their schools. That's not in September. That's not in October. That's August. So what's going to happen before then? Give people some certainty. Don't do flippant comments that say we're all feeling the pinch because that kind of a line, which did come from Virag earlier this past week, that's not helpful because people are feeling pinches. Some people are feeling strangleholds and that needs to be addressed. Well, let's be clear, there are some people who are feeling no pinch at all. That's it. I mean, there are people where the increase in the cost of living has effectively no impact because if you have enough disposable impact, it makes little or no difference. And there are people for whom it is astonishingly difficult to deal with. Yeah, and so that's why it really requires more care in the communication so that it doesn't get just brandish and oh we're going to figure it out or oh we've got the fire part we need to really be more compassionate I think Now Gina can you explain something to me that I don't quite understand we are coming up 4th of July is Monday so yes, is. a fairly significant holiday in the it's US the, It's the barbecue weekend of all weekends this weekend yes my family's all getting together over in Indiana go on This week and in the run up to this week what we have seen is the most extraordinary evidence in front of Congress Hard have- to celebrate a lot going on when we're talking I actually write for my column t- for tomorrow I talk about freedom and how what are we celebrating and what kind of responsibility do we have with the freedom and the freedoms now, that have been curtailed. But just yes, to get this right, on. what the January, the January 6th committee has heard is that the President of the United States of America said, allow armed people to come into Congress and move on the Capitol because they are not seeking to attack me. me. While he was aware that they were seeking to attack others, there is evidence that people in the US administration were actively fomenting anger and rioting and violence. There is retired uh, general saying, refusing to say that they support the peaceful transfer of power in the United States. How is this not leading every single newspaper and every media outlet all the way around the world? Well, well, great question. Well, there's a lot of shock and awe that's coming out of the the last hearing before the July 4th break when, as you were mentioning, that the, the White House aide, Cassidy Hutchinson when she was saying these things that he knew they were armed that doesn't matter they're not coming for me and he wanted to go lead that group out to the Capitol and and according to her actually try to grab the steering wheel and all this kind of stuff but here's the thing as we all know the January 6th hearings and there's going to be more after they come back from the July 4th recess there'll be at least a couple more and then when they get the report done there'll be a couple more after that they don't have teeth They can sway people in the court of public opinion, but unless the Department of Justice, which it is continuing to do, they've had hundreds of indictments already, but at the lower level of the insurrectionists, unless the DOJ and Attorney General Merrick Garland decide that they have enough real evidence, and as 
as volatile as her as her testimony was under oath, it still would be considered hearsay from the DOJ's point of view. But the DOJ's got to have enough to try a former sitting president on obstruction of justice and fraud to overturn a free and fair election. Or they won't do it. Now, there's one bit in that. Be, it'll be the first in ever in the whole history. Yes, go. You are absolutely legitimate in what you say about the Department of Justice. You said, however, the January 6th committee can sway the court of public opinion. What is remarkable is that it is not swaying the court of public opinion. The court of public opinion, like the Supreme Court, is divided entirely on political lines. John, can you explain how the vast majority of Republicans have watched what has come out of the January 6th committee and said, nope, not for me, doesn't matter, still like the guy. Well, you know, I'm not a voter in the United States and Gina um, understands it better than, than I. But looking from a distance, they've never cared what Trump has done. They've never, they, they have bought into conspiracy theories. A lot of, a lot of people who have voted for him, I'm not saying um, everyone has. Um, they, they have taken this line that, you know, that, that somehow he's been fitted up in many ways. I mean, I was struck when, when you're, a, when you're um, a Daily Mail reporter, you're taught to, tell people the colour the colour of the wallpaper on the wall. Cassidy Hutchison's um, um, testimony was was very striking in that she walked into the room one day and there was ketchup on the wall uh, and she said <laughs> this was a frequent plate. occurrence that he would throw his meal at the wall. I mean, it, on that level, this is the kind of behaviour you're dealing with from a man. People haven't seemed to care prior to a general election or election over there. It was revealed that he boasted about sexually assaulting women and he was still elected. And this is where I think the United States has a has a has a very crucial decision to make, and it'll be made in a legal a legal level. I read a, a piece by um, Daniel Finkelstein in the Times that st- struck to something that I was thinking, and then from a distance, you often thought that there is this when it, there is this this theory in the United States that to go after a president and prosecute him will cause these lunatics to become even more emboldened and you give them a, 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 a standard with which to attack. Daniel Finkelstein wrote that they did this, in our belief, with Nixon. Nixon was pardoned. It, it would not be unprecedented for a United States president to face uh, criminal charges, but he was pardoned by Gerald Ford. And if the United States misses this chance to pursue this man to the fullness of the law, they're going to be in in a serious in a serious position, and it doesn't matter how many people vote for him. It doesn't matter how many people disbelieve what they're hearing here. The man should face the full rigors of the law, and then let a court decide what what and he Gina, has is done or not done. Is there anything that can be done to convince people? Uh, because at this stage, I mean, the preponderance of Cassidy Hutchinson's testimony was particularly sensational. I don't mean that in a pejorative way, yeah. but it is supported by multiple sources under oath around the fomenting of violence, around the acceptance that the uh, the knowledge that there were um, armed people, around the foreknowledge of what was likely to happen on January sixteenth, which are the material or January sixth, which are the material issues. How do you convince people of the facts that are staring them in the well, face? Well, two things that are running concurrently right now, Anton, and you touched on them. We've got the Jan 6 hearings and all the stuff that's coming out of that. And in addition to her testimony this past week, all the other people now, as you heard Benny Thompson, the chair of the Select Committee at the very end, as he wrapped it up, said, if you've suddenly remembered something more, if you've got more to say, the word is that there are more and more people are coming now forward to testify under oath. So let's see. The second thing I was going to mention, though, and you touched on it, is the Supreme Court cases, the rulings that came down from Roe v. Wade to expanding prayer in schools to 
the first time ever allowing concealed weapons in so one in New York. So one time you take you put the the the, the the, the rights back to the states under Roe v. Wade, and the other one, you take the rights away from the state for the, the thing in New York. But here's the thing. The Roe v. Wade overturning, which is, we don't even know the chaos that that's going to ensue over the coming days and weeks ahead. But the most, I just was talking to a buddy of mine who's a, frankly, he's a campaigner, uh, strategist and, and, and uh, advisor to the President Biden. Just, I was talking to him on Friday. Brand new polling since the Roe v. Wade was overturned has come out that is saying for the first time as we look into midterms, which typically go to the opposition party of what's in charge of the administration, for the first time the polling has gone 48 percent now for Democrats versus 41 for Republicans. And that's a sway. And one more thing, the voters that turn out the most that make that difference are suburban women, suburban women who are impacted by Roe v. Wade and its consequences. And they may be impacted to a degree that we hadn't yet or hadn't uh, at first realized because President Biden speaking last night talked about the vista that he sees coming down the track thanks to the repealing of Roe v. Wade. The first state the first state that tries to arrest a woman for crossing a state line to get uh, health services. Uh, and they're, they're, I, don't, I, don't, I don't think people believe that's going to happen. But it's going to happen and it's going it's to telegraph to the whole country that this is, this is a gigantic deal that goes beyond. I mean, it affects all your basic rights. I, uh, I, I think people are going to be shocked when the first state, the first state that tries to arrest a woman for crossing a state line. That's an extraordinary prospect. The President of the United States saying that you could see a state arresting a woman for attempting to travel for health care. We don't know what's going to happen and it's going to be scary and it's going to be hopefully bring people out to the polls. Let us come closer to home with a story that uh, the Irish Daily Mail, of whom, of course, John Lee is the editor. And congratulations on the appointment, John. This is a story relating to uh, councils halting the development or holding planning permission for the development of houses on its own lands or rather on lands to which it was a recipient of some of the housing. Interesting story in and of itself. Interesting emblematic uh, representation of the kind of challenges we have in ever getting the housing crisis sorted. I, I think you're right. It's emblematic. The the the, the minutiae of it are important for people in Galway. Um, but on a global scale, it shows. The Craig Hughes is... Um, the reporter's report to this in our paper, and he's done a series of articles, in, particularly in recent months, to show, unfortunately, the bad news is this much-heralded um, reform of the housing sector before um, 2025 when the government go to the country isn't going to happen. Um, I go back to a story Craig wrote a few weeks ago as well where he obtained internal documents from the, house, the Department of Housing. It's there in writing. They will not meet their own projected limited and humble targets of 33,000 houses a year until 2025. Um, they, they may get to the mid-20s this year. And that's not so, total target, that's just output target. That's <coughs> producing at the level they need to produce at. That won't happen going. And that's, the, that's their own statement. You know, we've had a series of articles in, in, in the last few weeks to show um, the problems have not been been um, dealt with. I and mean, this goes, this just simply deals with a, an issue where the, the council made a mistake and they informed the developer of the amount of review time he had to deal with the planning extension and they misinformed him. Now he's been told that they can't 
overrule their own own decision and on we go and that goes back to <laughs> sorry that goes funny. back to the formation of the government I, I, I actually I tell you what it goes back further and I've had so many conversations and done so many stories in housing in the last five years I remember having a, a conversation with Owen Murphy the, the previous housing minister back in 2017 when he was appointed by Leo Varadkar I, I was on the phone I remember I was in my back garden and it was a long conversation before probably things became a bit fraught between Owen and the media. And he said to me then the most important issue he felt was to deal with the county councils and the actual planning process. See, it's not building them. It's and that the was five of time. years ago. And he had intended to take executive powers or look at taking executive powers off them. And that was stopped. And here we are still not done. If you want Five the details of later. that story, that is in today's Irish Daily Mail. A uh, big cover. thank you to John Lee, who is executive editor of the Daily Mail Group in Ireland, and to Gina London, who is, of course, former CNN correspondent and uh, now Sunday Independent columnist. The Anton Savage Show, Saturday morning at nine on News Talk.